0: Hola, When in Spain listeners, welcome to another episode. I'm your host, Paul Birch. And thank you for listening to the best of the Spanish-themed podcasts. Well, your word's not mine. And I quote, Paul never disappoints. He covers a lot of fun topics that others ignore. Well, that was a little uh, review left a couple of days ago by No Nuro or Nonuro. Uh, I'm not quite sure uh, how to pronounce that. So a big thank you to you who uh, I believe are a listener in the US of A and left a review on the iTunes or Apple podcasting platform. So if you'd like to leave a review too, then please do. Um, Of course, I welcome uh, reviews. If you enjoy listening to the show, you can leave a small review on any of the usual podcasting platforms where you listen. And you can also leave reviews on the When in Spain Facebook group as well. So what have I got in store for you in this week's episode of When in Spain?
1: The feeling of eating jamon iberico is that this magical earthy meat where you can taste essentially what the animals were eating. A good piece of jamon iberico should be ribboned with that beautiful marbling. There's got to be a good balance of the fat to the meat because that's where you get the magic. And since these animals eat acorns, um, the acorns just do this incredible number on the meat as it as it ages.
0: Ah, yes, that unmistakably Spanish delicacy, jamon. Delicious. Um, That was the voice of Margit Sperling, who's a food tour guide and... Well, something of an expert in jamón, I would say. You may remember, Margit, from a couple of months ago. We did an episode together talking about uh, the tapas culture in Spain, how to order tapas. So Margit is back. I think she's the first repeat guest I've actually had on the When in Spain podcast. So lovely to have her back. But before we get into all of that delicious jamón, I must give a special mention And a huge gracias to new Wen in Spain patrons, who are Letitia Gibson, Michael Skelton and Randy Verlines. Randy I hope I've pronounced your surname correctly (laughs) you did in your email send me a little phonetic spelling so that I would pronounce it correctly so uh, Randy Verlines, a big thank you to you too so thanks to all three of you for becoming When In Spain patrons Um, I must uh, give Randy a special shout out actually because he sent me a very detailed and interesting email I'm going to just share a little excerpt with you all now Uh, Randy says uh, I stumbled upon your podcast upon our return from Spain so Randy and his wife had been spending uh, some time exploring Spain and on our return as I was looking for something to remind me of all the wonderful things that make Spain Spain I started walking again to work off some of those extra pounds from eating and drinking so well in Spain. Well, yeah, who can blame you? You have to enjoy the food and drink when you're visiting Spain. And he says, I've used your podcast to entertain me on my three mile circuit. Unfortunately, I have nearly listened to all of your podcasts since I walk nearly every day. I really enjoy your easy pace delivery and the ambient sounds of life around you. And I've also viewed a few of your wonderful YouTube videos uh randy thank you so much for your kind uh, email and indeed for becoming a when in spain patron and for your very kind and generous um donation and in his email randy also offered me a list of podcast ideas for future episodes um which are all fantastic randy so thank you for them i've uh, written them down i've added them to my list of future podcast ideas for 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 shows And I just wanted to use this opportunity as a kind of segue to say to all of you guys, the listeners, if anyone has any uh, podcast program ideas for future episodes, please send them through to me. I am all ears. And also a big thank you to many of you listeners during the last few months or, or before who've sent through ideas for future episodes as well. I haven't forgotten about them. Don't worry. I've got them all written down and I will indeed endeavour to turn them into podcast episodes in the future. This, of course, does take some time, it takes some research, and as many of you will have noticed, that uh, I've really started to try and include guests on the When in Spain podcast as much as possible to kind of add an extra dimension to the show. So with all of those podcast ideas, they are in the R&D stages, shall we say, research and development. Um, I'm always spending a lot of my free time researching, looking for suitable guests who can talk with some level of authority about uh, given themes about Spanish culture and Spanish life in Spain. So be patient. I haven't forgotten about those programme ideas. I am reaching out on a regular basis to potential interviewees. And while we're on the subject of interviews for podcast episodes, I am aware that really in the last few months, uh, as I just said, I've tried to include as many interviews as possible. And that is something that I will continue to do. And hopefully we get more and more uh, guests lined up in the coming months. But that also got me thinking about something else as well. And what I would really like to do is to hopefully in the next few months bring you more episodes where I'm out and about around Madrid, around Spain, bringing you the sounds of Spain. I know that many of you really enjoy the episodes where I'm out and about and you get that kind of ambient background sound, uh, which maybe wherever you're listening from helps, helps transport you uh, to Spain and helps build a kind of picture in your mind when you're listening speaking of which uh, in the next few weeks I'm going to be doing a little bit of traveling around Spain for the summer holidays I'll be heading up to the north of Spain to Oviedo and Asturias and to the north coast so I definitely plan on bringing you an episode from there And then um, I'll be heading all the way down to the opposite end of the uh, Iberian Peninsula, all the way down to Andalusia, to the Cadiz area of Spain as well, Uh, one of my favourite cities in Spain. And of course, I will be bringing you some uh, sites, some audio sites, if you like, and sounds and observations from the south of Spain too. So stay tuned uh, for those episodes, probably coming to you at the end of August, if not the beginning of September. And also, as Randy mentioned in his email, that he listened to the podcast while he was uh, doing his three-mile walk. Um, I would love to hear from listeners um, about where you listen to the podcast, what you're doing when you're listening to When in Spain. How does the When in Spain podcast kind of fit into your uh, daily routine? I I love knowing about you guys, the listeners. um, So please do get in touch either via email, via the Facebook, uh, uh, When in Spain Facebook group. Let me know where and when you listen to the When in Spain podcast. So a big thank you to those patrons and to all of the other patrons supporting When in Spain. Um, I like to think that this podcast is full of good information all about Spain. And one of the things that makes this podcast possible more than anything else is direct listener support from people like you the listeners so please take a moment to look up the when in spain podcast on patreon.com which is a crowdfunding uh, website which gives listeners the opportunity to support uh, content creators uh, that they like and please consider signing up to become a when in spain patron uh, and you can do that by pledging a small donation from as little as just one dollar but of course whatever amount you can there's no pressure but i just wanted to say it. Really does make a huge difference, and if you can't do it today, uh, just think about it, and maybe at some point in the future you can. But but if you enjoy this content and you want it to keep coming at you on a regular basis, go and support me on Patreon because it really will make a huge difference to the long term, the long term health, if you like, of When in Spain. Um, so if you've been thinking about it, think about it no more. Go and do it now. Go and support When in Spain uh, by making a small donation on patreon.com and a big, big thank you. I really appreciate all of your kind support. So without further ado, let's get into Jamon. I met up with Margaret Sperling in a municipal market uh, in the centre of Madrid, uh, just behind Gran Via, which as many of you I'm sure know is the main kind of shopping thoroughfare in the centre of the capital. Now this municipal market, like many of them, were is quite tucked away. And I'd been living in Madrid for a, quite a few years before I really even knew it existed. So we met up in El Mercado Mostofenses at a jamoneria, which is a little ham store, family run. And uh, we're going to be sampling some jamón and we're going to be talking about everything jamón, uh, how you should order it, the different varieties, the different types of jamón that exist, how you should eat it and where you should go and buy it. So without further ado, here's Margaret Sperling and me talking jamón. (music) Margaret, thanks so much again for joining the Wedding Spain podcast. I think you are the first repeat guest that I've had, so I'm, I'm honoured that oh gosh, you wanted I'm to come back.
1: Honoured, I'm honoured. This is so fun.
0: So we have uh, wandered around the market and we've ended up in a jamonería and salchichería called Hermanos Benito. Who are we here with?
1: We are here with José Ignacio Benito. His father started this uh, ham shop here in the market in Mercado Mostenses. Jose Matthew, sé que me lo has dicho, pero ¿en qué año empezó el puesto tu padre? En 1967. In 1977. Se llama hermano Benito
0: porque mi padre son seis hermanos.
1: Y seis puestos, y so it's puestos called puestos. Um, the Hermanos Benito because there were six uh, brothers, and these were his father's brothers. And they had six stands, they were all called Hermanos Benito, and they were all similar. They were um, folks who were selling ham, sausage, the cured meats, um, until his father decided that this was going to be his, and he took it over. And then when his father retired, uh, José Ignacio started in the market uh, and took over the stand.
0: In front of us, just to see what we've got on offer here, Mm -hmm. we've got a lot of chorizo, I suppose what you would call in Spanish embutidos, which Mm -hmm. are like uh, cured meat, sausages, that kind of thing. But uh, what we are here for today is jamón.
1: Exactly. Um, When we are talking about the embutidos, which are things that are stuffed into something, Um, or the cured meats in general. Uh, What we're talking about is this whole range of pork products, primarily. Um, Sausages, hard sausages. But the king of these products is, without question, jamón. And when we talk about jamón, there's all different pieces to that puzzle, which we will get to. But when we're talking about the best of the best, we just have to start right off the bat with the greatest thing that you can get at one of these stands, which is jamón ibérico de bellota. Uh, which means it is jamón. Jamón is the back dry cured leg of the pig. Iberico refers to the Iberian breed of pigs. And bellota means that these guys for the last couple months of their lives they only eat acorns.
0: So is our acorn. So they forage for acorns and that's what they eat for the last few months of their, of their lives.
1: Exactly. They're free range animals. They're out in these beautiful landscapes which are called dehesas, which are just these beautiful open spaces and so you have these gigantic pigs uh, just gorging themselves on acorns. Now importantly, acorns are their favorite foods. Like Traditionally this is what they've eaten and this is what they want and so they're out there. I kind of like to imagine myself like if I was out in a field of pizza what would happen to me Um, and this is sort of the experience they're in a field of pig pizza which is acorns Um, So the best way to get jamón ibérico de bellota, which is fun to say and fun to eat, which is my favorite category of food, uh, is to go to one of these amazing uh, butchers. So our jamonero here, José Ignacio, he has a beautiful leg of the jamón ibérico. And one of the most important things when you're going to get jamón ibérico is you want to look at the color of the foot. The foot is going to be black. It's oftentimes called pata negra, uh, which just means black foot. Uh, so we got to have our black foot, so we have our black foot, it's set up here to be cut. Pata negra is,
0: kind of indicates the quality.
1: Cuando la gente dice pata negra, está hablando de jamón ibérico. The black foot refers to this animal, Then they have black feet. That's one of their characteristic markings. Um, so, nos haces un poquito de jamón, porfa. So we're going to get a little ham. Now...
0: This is quite an art, isn't it? I, I've heard of people go to sort of institutes that actually teach people how to carve the ham in a very fine, almost, it's so thin, I mean, it's like, it's like a millimeter, maybe two millimeters thick.
1: Exactly. And this is the thing, is that folks spend a very long time, oh my gosh, muchas gracias, muchas gracias. Um, spend a very long time learning to cut ham. Uh, José Ignacio grew up helping his father, and then he's been cutting ham for years. ¿Cuántos años llevas aquí en el mercado? No me acuerdo. Yo solo
0: llevo siete, pero nací en el <laughs>
1: so he says that he's had this stand himself uh, after his father retired for about seven years, but he's been helping out uh, since he was a kid. And so he basically grew up learning how to cut this stuff, and you can really see the pieces here um, are absolutely beautiful. Now, the thing that's really amazing about the jamón is that, again, everything about making jam is an art and a science. Um, and you have these guys who train for years to cut it and also to be able to recognize when it's ready.
0: piece of uh, paper here with a few small slices of the jamón, mm-hmm. right there, looking <laughs> super ay, 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 tempting. How many
1: years of curation does this leg have? The was killed the 18th of 2015. We're asking about how long the ham cured for. This is extremely important. Mm. And now each ham has to have a special ticket. And so this one says that the animal was slaughtered um, in the 18th week of 2015.
0: Wow, so this is super specific.
1: So we're in the 28th week. Of 2019, so it's a little over four years, and this is a really amazing part about the whole process. That when we talk about the art and the science, there is the art of cutting, serving, and presenting, but the science is absolutely necessary. When we talk about ham, we're talking about pork salt and thyme because it needs to cure, as you heard, for a minimum of three years uh-huh. to be considered jamón ibérico and to be sold with that special label. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's all of the different factors, how much salt, how long it's, it's cured, uh, the humidity level, the air circulation, all of this is so you get these perfect licks, because we're eating raw meat. I mean, let's, let's make no bones about this. This <laughs> yeah. is eating very fancy raw meat. Um, but the salt is basically just an ancient process that humans discovered that, you know, you imagine you slaughter a pig in ancient Spain. And then you're like, oh man, we can't eat all of this meat. And so before it goes bad, you salt it. And so salt acts as a natural preservative. And so you have salt and then it hangs you know, traditionally it would hang like in your grandmother's basement.
0: I was going to ask that. Yeah. Where, where do they normally hang them to cure?
1: Okay, so now this is done. It's highly regulated by the European Union. They're done in factories with, again, everything regulated to the level of humidity, to the air circulation, to the temperature. Because, again, we're eating raw meat. Um, traditionally, this would be made, you know, you'd have a special part in your barn where there was lots of cross ventilation. So you would hang the legs from the rafters. Um, my boyfriend's family still has like an open to the Ceiling, or you're like an open to the roof uh, part where they're curing uh, chorizos. So they do the sausages over there. Um, but yeah, like you, this is something that you made. You know, traditionally it would start with what's called matanza, um, which is the traditional slaughter of the pig. Oftentimes these would be animals that are cared for by the whole village, and this would be a real celebration because this is. I mean, you're going to get some some protein from this, um,
0: and so I'm using everything as well, using absolutely everything from the animal. I think I read somewhere that. One pig, it will provide enough pork for several families for a year. By the time they've used everything, when they've made morcia from the blood, when they've, used, they've got the ears, the cheeks, the intestines, and of course, all of the actual flesh as well.
1: Exactly. The other thing is that, you know, traditional society folks ate a lot less meat. I mean, meat was certainly a garnish. And here in Spain, the, you know, you would have this matanza where you would slaughter the animal and then everything is used. The joke is that you eat everything but the squeak, which I love. <laughs> um and <laughs> And, you know, you have these traditional matanzas. And so the animal was slaughtered and then everything was used. Some of it would definitely be cooked fresh and grilled. Mm-hmm. And then you make the hams from the back legs, the jamones. The paletas are the front legs. Pigs are built like people. The, the back leg is better. Yeah. And um, <laughs> <laughs> it's bigger. There's more on there. And um, then you would make all the sausages. And as you said, the morcilla is the blood sausage. And, and you use everything. everything. The um, manitas de cerdo, the trotters, uh, would be cooked uh, with, you know, in a in a do. And so that's the other thing, is that we're not just eating pork chops. We're no. eating beans throughout the year, seasoned with uh, a little bit of chorizo. Um, there's a little bit of morcilla, the blood sausage, crumbled into an egg dish. You know, all of these different things were how traditional society fed themselves. Um, but enough of the history. I really think we're going to have to try this. Let's,
0: let's, let's, let's dig, dig in, in here. Let's, let's dig, dig in. Dig let's dig in. in. Okay, so let's I see. I want us to
1: look at these pieces. When you get jamón, particularly a very good piece of jamón iberico, you never want to be afraid of the fat.
0: Yeah, because I think maybe certainly in the UK, people, it's the sort of thing that people cut the fat off their meat or or a bit squeamish about eating too much fat. So when you see this white kind of uh, marbling, people are like, ooh, just avoid eating that.
1: Exactly. For all of us who grew up in lean protein, lean protein, lean protein societies, um, this can be quite a shock. But sometimes people even said to me you know i went and i had ham and they totally took advantage of me because i'm a foreigner and they put a bunch of fat on there and you're like no 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 no." if someone loves you in spain they give you the fatty bit it can be the fatty bit of the ham the fatty bit of the roasted lamb whatever it is fat is truly flavor i mean i know we've heard that but that is absolutely the truth and when we're talking about the jamon iberico it is absolutely crucial A good piece of chanamon berico should be about the size of a credit card and it should be ribboned with that beautiful marbling. There's got to be a good balance of the fat to the meat because that's where you get the magic. Since these animals eat acorns, um, the acorns just do this incredible number on the meat. As it, as it ages for, again, like three to four or five or six years uh-huh. even. And so you get all this wonderful properties where you look at the fat. I mean, yes, it is a warm summer day, but the fat melts at a much lower uh, temperature, so it's glistening. The feeling of eating jamón iberico is that this magical earthy meat where you can taste essentially what the animals were eating just melts on your It top. melts
0: in your mouth, really does, not it? And then it? the other
1: thing that's really cool to look at it is you have the crystallization of the salt. And again, the salt is what's used to preserve this. And so, since it sits in salt, you want to think it's about a day in salt per kilo of meat at the beginning. So it winds up being about two weeks immersed in salt. Then the excess salt is dusted off. Then it's hung by its little foot to dry. And then several years later, we get to eat the magic.
0: Ta-da! It really and is magic. You get this beautiful
1: crystallization of the salt as the moisture evaporates and the salt concentrates, almost like when you bite into a chunk of Parmesan cheese and you get almost that like shattering effect. That's the same kind of thing. Let's turn off the talking. Grab I want to get this chunk. in my mouth. In
0: yeah. I'm just just going to try and everything. We- it's so good. Oh, wow. It's really good. Mm.
1: Every time you eat jamon iberico, you think to yourself, like this is why we pay for quality, you know? And when we're talking about jamon iberico, this is not deli ham. This is a beautiful piece of meat that has been aged with care and love for years. And so this is... Uh, this is a. This is I mean, this is a, is a real
0: delicacy. This is, is exactly a delicacy.
1: delicacy. And we talk about the price of a delicacy. We're talking between about 80 to 150 or even more euros a kilo. Mm-hmm. And because this is stuff that, you know, the animal lives for a very long time because they're these traditionally raised pigs that aren't kind of like hormone-injected farm animals that are just grow, 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 grow. So the animal lives for a long time. So it has to be fed. And then the acorns, then the aging process, and it has to be monitored. And then it has to be stored. And then our friend here, Jose Ignacio, hand cuts the leg using this like big old knife that were his father's <laughs> knives. And so everything about it, from the slaughtering of the animal to the preserving to the serving, is this whole process. And when you taste it, there's just no comparison between like it's
0: got the you can taste yeah. almost the acorns, it's got a sort of sweetness to it, it's got that earthiness to it. And like you said, it just dissolves in your mouth, it's not chewy, uh-uh. it's not grisly, it's, not, it's just absolutely beautiful, tender, melting in your mouth.
1: Totally, and that's the thing is you get that balance between the meat and the fat, and that's what gives it that kind of magic mouth feel. Um, and it's really, it's just so, so good. And I always tell people that when you want to have the really good um, jamón iberico, my favorite place to get it is here in a market.
0: That's what I was going to say to you. For people who are coming to Spain and want to obviously absolute must try, unless you're a vegetarian, is the jamón ibérico. Where should people go? What's the best way to do it? And how should they eat it? You know, should you eat it between bread or not?
1: Okay, so here's the thing. There are many restaurants where a tapa is served of, um, of jamón ibérico. A platter is served, a ración um, is served of jamón ibérico. Um, but for me, my favorite way to get ham is to go into one of Madrid's amazing... Municipal markets. Now we'll talk a little bit about that later, but these are these incredible spaces that they're city markets. Basically, before uh, Spain got supermarkets, sometime in the late '70s, early '80s, uh, folks would come to these markets to do all of their shopping, and you still have these incredible traditional markets in neighborhoods in Madrid and really throughout Spain. And the best way to get ham, in my opinion, is to go to one of these guys um, like Jose Ignacio, who is you know a ham expert, and you know for our friends who aren't familiar with the- The metric system, uh, 150, 200 grams is plenty. Uh And they'll cut that up. Again, you want to get a small bit, but you really want to pay for something special.
0: So go to a market, uh, watch them actually carve the, the ham on in front of you. 150, 200 grams is enough for a few people to share to get the flavor. Mm -hmm. Don't be, um, you know, it's not super cheap, but don't let that deter you. It's absolutely well worth the money, well worth bashing out a little bit extra for for the Bayota ham.
1: I feel with ham as in shoes that one should buy the absolute best that one could afford um, because you were you are just eating this incredible artisanal product, and so you you want to get the good stuff. and you, you don't need a ton of it. You just need a little of it, and you will absolutely taste a difference. Um, but the other thing I wanted to do is do a little comparison for us. So we've had the Iberico, and what I would love to try is a little Serrano. Now, Serrano, uh, we talked about Iberico. How many Iberico is from the Iberian breed?
0: So these are the two kind of typical types of on exactly. that exist we've got iberico and serrano and so what's the difference um what's what's the difference with serrano ham? okay
1: so the primary difference between iberico and serrano hams is the breed of pigs mm-hmm. um when we talk about iberico iberico is a breed and serrano is a style it's like mountain ham there's a, a variety of different pigs that are used frequently it's a dudok breed of pigs um these are our big pink farm animal friends like when you think pigs it's these guys um they're raised on farms not a great life for them, but that's, you know, that's the price we pay um, for cheap meat. But um, it is, it's a very nice ham. I'm going to, we'll call it sandwich ham. Sandwich ham.
0: Because would you put the ham on we've just tried, the uh, bayota between bread? or not
1: between bread but I would definitely put it on bread um, I think the first bite should always just be a you know like you should just pick it up in your mouth and you know pick it up with your hands and put it in your mouth you should definitely just eat it so you have that experience of it melting on your tongue. I agree
0: because you don't want anything interfering with no. that sensation and that, and that, that intense so flavor
1: you want, you want a little cracker you want a little pico the little mini Spanish breadsticks um, some beautiful pan con tomate a beautiful piece of bread rubbed with tomato that's fine um, and if you're going to have your bocadillo you you know, sandwich on a nice chunk of crusty bread, uh, you're going to um, get the serrano. Go for
0: the serrano, and that's what you're going to find more commonly in a bocadillo de jamón. Exactly. Now, serrano from, from the Sierra, from the countryside, from, uh-huh. it's, and you said it's a particular style it's of style. curing ham.
1: Exactly. And it's, it's, you know, it's the same thing. Um, you, you take, you cut off the back legs, it's immersed in salt. Uh, Then it's dried off and then it's aged for about a year and a half. Now, people also ask, what's the difference between prosciutto? I don't want to get involved with that because our Italian friends always get mad at us. But one of the primary differences is that um, you have, it's the same thing. Like, it's a full leg. uh, It's got the little foot on there. When people come to Spain, when I first came to Spain, I was like, oh, man. You know, like this nice Jewish girl from Seattle. I'm like, why is there legs everywhere? It's
0: still got the hoof on the the end. And
1: there's like some little hairs. But... That's the thing Is like we're eating animals Ani- meat comes from an animal and so it's the it's the same process uh, it's salt and then it's dried for about a year and a half and then it's served it's oftentimes called jamon dulce it's a little sweeter um, it's not aged as long so it's a little pinker um, and because of the way that the animal is raised and it lives its life the fat is normally along the outside edge. It's not a free-range animal, so it doesn't have the chance to develop that incredible marbling within the musculature.
0: And doesn't eat, doesn't eat acorns? Doesn't eat.
1: In some parts of Spain it does, but well, that's, that's really like a different day. That's really like a different year. Um, but yes, um, so you have the serrano. And now I think we should try a little bit, don't you think? Okay, You're let's make a little
0: comparison. Yeah, absolutely. Meanwhile, I might steal the other little slice of... Uh... Mm, so good. So where we're standing and a small indoor market stall. with a glass counter, we've also got cheeses here as well, as well as all of the embutitos, hard sausages, and ham. And behind the counter, um, we must have several dozen legs of ham hanging up. Um, and this is something that is really common wherever you go in Spain, you will see legs of ham hanging up in bars, you will see ham, specialist ham stores where uh, the whole ceiling is just covered in uh, legs of jamon. And here behind the counter in the market, uh, as I said, we've got several, probably about a couple of dozen uh, legs of hamon, all with uh, labels attached to them, uh, which describe the race, the breed, Raza, Raza Iberica, which is the uh, Iberian hamon
1: so we now have a couple of pieces of this beautiful jamon serrano to try and just immediately looking at it the color is lighter you don't have that salt crystallization the you still have that beautiful marbling but it's not as intense it's more along the edge De donde viene este jamón? The Where's jamón this from? from? Is this Segovia. Perfect. So Segovia is a little bit north here of Madrid. Not far so away. No, and this is this is really nice. Again, um Jose Ignacio gave us this serrano to try because it's he said it's like a punto intermedio. It's like a midpoint in the hams. It's about thirty euros a kilo. So again, this is not like a cheap supermarket, you know, shrink wrapped ham that uh-huh. you're gonna put on the kids' sandwich and send them off. This is a nice serrano, but it's certainly not something crazy like a ninety euro a kilo. Kilo um, no. Iberico. This is 30 very euros good. A kilo, and it's
0: yeah, it's got a more definitely a lighter, pinker mm. color, uh, yeah. and like you said, with the fat, there aren't so many sort of bands of fat running through the actual meat; yeah. just a couple, and more at the edges.
1: It's gonna be a little like um, like give it a little bit more give in your mouth.
0: Mm. Mm. Really good. Mm. Mm. So, what, um, mm.
1: This is very good. It's got a different flavor profile. It's a little kind of meatier where the other's got a little bit more like herbaceous almost.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah, I'd agree.
1: And this one is wonderful. You got that nice salt forward. Uh, This is also great. You know, now we're in summer, so everyone's thinking about grilling. This is the kind of thing, you know, wrap around asparagus, throw it on the grill. Um, put it on a beautiful toast with some rubbed tomato and some salt flakes and a little olive oil Spectacular. I mean, this is a wonderful wonderful product You're gonna make your bocadillos to go out for your picnic or to the pool. Absolutely wonderful. This is
0: the on you You're gonna you're gonna
1: mm-hmm. want to be uh, eating. Yeah So this one again, uh, the serrano is gonna be cured for about a year and a half and um, again when you're looking for these products you definitely want to go somewhere where there's a guy cutting i mean it's also part of the fun that when you come to spain there are folks like jose ignacio who have dedicated their lives to the preservation of food culture not because that's what they wanted to do but because that's what they did that's what family does absolutely from yeah. family of commoneros and and this is how we do things that we we cut ham we serve the best stuff and and we do it because we love it
0: And it's got such a charm about it, actually coming into a market, having a walk around, admiring how all of the Hamon is strung up from the ceiling, all of the legs of Hamon you can see, which I was talking about. And as you said, yeah, it's, it's uh, seeing it actually being cut right in front of you and presented to you. I think it has a kind of mystique. It's something that actually, I don't know, for me back in the UK oh, yeah. and I guess in the States, it doesn't happen so much these days. It's already presented to you, vacuum packed, ready exactly. to
1: go. This is not, you know, there's, there's no kind of styrofoam trays filled with meat. Um, this is something that, you know, he does and he cuts. Now I'm going to ask a couple of questions because I love to know numbers más o menos a la semana, pero en época de Navidades de consumo alto de jamón. Navidad es sí, una barbaridad lo que se sí.
0: vende. So Christmas is like a crazy
1: time. That's why I asked I started with asking like well, how much do you sell at Christmas? Es una locura. It's like and he's just saying it's crazy. Es una locura because at, at Christmas time people are just buying ham. Like that's what people do. They go out and they buy ham. Just to give you an idea of how important ham is at Christmas, folks' Christmas bonus oftentimes includes a ham from their company at Christmas. So más o menos, más o menos. ¿Qué podemos decir?
0: Al día más de un jamón ibérico uh-huh. al día. A non-stop yeah. flow of people during the Christmas period Christmas coming Christmas. and buying legs of jamón.
1: And you're saying that every day they can sell, that he sells about one full leg. So we're talking like four, four and a half kilos of meat every day. So that means like taking out the bone, cutting it uh, individually by piece for his customers because he's saying that at that time of year, everyone wants to impress their family and friends. So folks are coming over. He particularly said your brother-in-law is going to come. I don't know what's going on with his brother-in-law. Um, law <laughs>
0: and it's true it's a a kind of centerpiece in the house at Christmas in any Spanish
1: household most people aren't bringing into their house a leg of jamón ibérico particularly not jamón ibérico de bellota you know it's extremely expensive to buy a whole leg most people are getting um, a paleta or paletilla the front leg that's a little smaller Mm. Um, you'll get you know my boyfriend always jokes that like he knows it's Christmas when he gets his paletilla the little ham from from his boss um, that the boss comes and like on each of their desks gives them a box that has a leg in Wow, it.
0: he's really lucky because I've had a yeah. lot of my Spanish, a lot of Spanish companies these days since the crisis stopped giving away because it's a little like festa de navidad, a little Christmas hamper yeah. which would be given to employees Christmas, mm-hmm. which would contain jamón, cheeses, wine. Like caps, yeah. Uh, all sorts of things. So he's super lucky. He still gets that.
1: Yeah. He still gets the, the ham leg. It's very important. The the paradilla in his company is extremely important. Yeah. So families don't often get a leg of Iberico, but definitely you'll come in and he was saying, yeah, like folks will come in and, you know, people who would normally come in and get like a nice Serrano will be like, oh, we need to get the package of Iberico. So we just cut it up and, you know, you can seal it up for us so that we have something really nice to give to our to our family and friends. Let's have a walk around the market and talk
0: a little bit more about that. Jose Ignacio, muchísimas gracias. Eh? Muchas
1: gracias. Nos vemos vale. pronto, ¿vale?
0: Gracias. Hasta luego. Adiós. At the beginning of the episode, we were talking about these everyday indoor markets. So mm-hmm. several of them, lots of them dotted around Madrid. And you're going to find them in every, pretty much every town and city exactly. uh, across Spain. Um, for me, it's like a kind of little time warp um, compared to the UK. You go in, uh, you've got all sorts of different stalls from fruit, vegetables, meat, cheeses, but they're a real like treasure trove, I think.
1: Oh yeah, the the municipal markets here in Spain are absolutely fantastic. Now I really want to I want to make sure that we know what we're talking about here. We are not talking about a farmers market. Um, we are talking about folks going to a central market here in Madrid. Most people, most stands are going to Mercamadrid a giant market complex it's like a city inside a city in the south of madrid and they're buying the products that then they're going to sell now because spain is such an intense breadbasket for europe spain produces a spectacular quantity of the fruits and vegetables that are sold here and also grows or raises the animals so if you just look here um, at, we're standing right in front of a beautiful uh, fruit stand and it says where the fruit is from. So right here nectarines, this is, you know, perfect nectarine season. And when you look on it, it says the origen yeah, Badajoz, Badajoz, which is in Extremadura, um, in the western part of Spain. Um, and you look at the albaricoques, the beautiful um, apricots. Again, they're from they're from Spain. Most of the fruits and vegetables that we are seeing here are from here in Spain, the cerezas. The cherries, the cherries from Aragon up north. Um, the mangoes, those are from Brazil. But what we're talking about are these incredible fruits and vegetables that are coming from here in Spain. Again, all of this beautiful summer fruit. And then you even have less summery kinds of treats like pears. Now we've got
0: pears there from Leon. from Leon. Yeah. Leon just up the road. And
1: then north here. And then not, of course, to mention the just spectacular quantity of tomatoes peppers Mm -hmm. zucchinis courgettes for our friends (laughs) Uh, (laughs) courgettes in the UK zucchini for you guys in
0: the (laughs) States and what I love about it is they take such pride in how they display everything. Everything's like beautifully laid out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a totally different food shopping experience than sure. going to your run-of-the-mill supermarket. Um,
1: and not just the way that it looks, it's the interaction with people. You know, when I first came to Madrid, one of the things that I really loved is that, you know, I met my fruit guys. I mean, because you're not allowed to touch this thing. This is also really, really important. Don't touch. Don't touch. When you go to the market, you've got to ask for the fruit and vegetable and they'll give it to you. Um, so you gotta, you got to know the person who is, who's serving you. And so that human interaction and also, you know, if you're, you're starting your cooking journey or if there's a fruit or vegetable you don't know what it is, these guys are experts. And so I remember when I first came to Spain and the spring, the artichokes came out. And I had just always had, my mom makes artichokes. I think she actually steams them in the microwave. <laughs> don't tell her I shared the family, the spiraling artichoke secret. But I was like, you know, I'd had these amazing artichoke hearts. And so the, the older gentleman who ran the fruit stand in the market that I loved, um, I was like, what are you supposed to do with these? And he was like, let me show you. <laughs> and grabs this tiny knife and just like whips off the leaves and taught me how to take out the choke. Absolutely.
0: Exactly. Because they will give you recipe ideas. They will tell you what's in season, what they suggest. And they'll tell you where it comes from.
1: That interaction is just so amazing and so central to life in Spain that you you get to talk to people, you know, and there's this I always joke that one of my favorite expressions about like food and dietary and life rules in Spain is this thing that I heard from a friend of a friend years ago that like the way the secret to a good life is mucho trato poco plato y mucha suela de zapato. So it's lots of human interaction, don't eat too much, and, you know, suela de zapato is the sole of your shoe. So walk a, a lot, lot. of walking, a yeah. A lot of walking, <laughs> a lot of human interaction, and don't eat too much food. I'm doing good with everything except don't eat too much food.
0: For me too. Just for the listeners, we're in el Mercado Mostanenses, which is right, really about as central as you can get in Madrid, we it's throw from Granbya although you wouldn't know it because this place I would not say is touristy by any means no, 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 um, no, no. it is what time are we now we're two o'clock in the afternoon as you can probably all hear it's bustling we've got lots of people here actual shopping for their fresh produce exactly. and they these are our madrilenos these are people that oh, live yeah. live here probably in the neighborhood right here uh picking up uh their fresh produce. For
1: lunch. I mean, it's coming on to this place closes down between 2 to 30 for a couple of hours. So folks can go and eat lunch. And we're just stopped in front of a fish stand.
0: Yes. And this is, Lovely, I mean, strong smell so of fresh, it's of fish and seafood, strong, sea it smells fresh. It's strong it smells in a good way, sweet. fresh, yeah, oceany sweet. smell.
1: Yeah. And this is, this is amazing. I mean, when you're standing in front of these fish stands, you know, you have all these incredible, incredible fish. You have Cabracho, which is a red rock fish uh, from the north of Spain. Uh, You have pulpitos, little mini octopuses that you could um, grill or you could mix with rice. They still got a little bit of the ink on them, so they're kind of flecked with black.
0: It's a real beautiful display. It's an assault on the senses, isn't it? It's just oh, yeah. stunning. Glistening under the lights, oh, the different colors, the shades of pink and brown. And you hear oh. the
1: guy in the background, he's cutting, um, he's cutting up a fish. And these guys, this is their job. I mean, I wish you guys could see this guy's arms, ladies, if you're into that. Whatever. This guy is just cutting down these fish. And so you go to these fishmongers and you say, all right, well, I would like a merluza, a hake and I'd like it cut to um, fillets. So they'll fillet the fish for you. They'll ask you if you like the head cause you would use that to make a stock for your rice. Absolutely. Take it home, stick it in the freezer and you get the whole fish. And these guys cut it up for you. Yeah.
0: Let's make no mistake, even though Madrid is slap bang in the middle of Spain, exactly. it's uh, absolutely fantastic for fresh seafood, which gets shipped into more corners of the country exactly. every day. There's a very big, huge, famous uh, fish market, right?
1: The second largest fish market in the world after Tokyo is here in Madrid, in Madrid that I mentioned earlier. Um, I was there a couple of years ago. It is, it's insane. Um, it's so huge. Spain is all coastline. And so some of the very best seafood, most of it, in fact, is shipped directly from the water or from the seafood auction in the, in the little town wherever the boats are coming in and sent directly to Madrid where it's then auctioned back out. Um, of course, in the, in the regions where there's a lot of fishing done, people will save some fish for local consumption. But you can get amazing fish here in Madrid. I wish you guys could see this. The guy is just shoveling shaved ice on top of the fish in a giant shovel. And it's just, it's so beautiful. There's enormous chunks of tuna. Uh, we have all different kinds of seafoods. There's huge clams. Uh, we have rings of calamari. You have whole cuttlefish that are going to be used to make sepia la plancha, the grilled uh, cuttlefish. All manners of little beautiful shells. It's just, it's absolutely amazing. And again, these guys also, you'll go and you'll be like, oh, I want to make something different. This thing, what should, what should I use it for? And they'll give you all kinds of ideas from baking to frying to steaming, whatever it is. Yeah.
0: These guys are a real resource, you know? Go in, don't be shy. For anyone listening who's planning on coming to Spain to visit, don't shy away from these traditional municipal markets because they are the real Spain, you know? If you're really thinking about buying fresh produce, whether it's fruit, vegetables, seafood fish indeed jamon as we just tasted uh come and check these places out and they're just like a sort of food museum as well you can walk around you can try bits and pieces many times they have well many times nearly always they have a little cafe or bar Mm -hmm. so you'll see people sipping a canya or having a cup of coffee um all of all of life is here in the municipal market
1: oh yeah no it's totally amazing and that's You know, here in Madrid, the most famous visitor market is Mercado San Miguel, the incredible tapas market uh, that's right by the Plaza Mayor. And that place is amazing. It's super beautiful and it has all kinds of wonderful things to try. Um, But perhaps the best part of Mercado San Miguel is that these small municipal markets that have really struggled in the last five, ten years, mostly because a lot of the younger generation doesn't want to have these really hard, long hour jobs. And people also, you know, it's so much easier to go to a supermarket and get everything done in one place. But Mercado San Miguel kind of taught people that you could have prepared food served in markets and people would come. And so Mercado is like most of the other municipal markets now in Madrid and much of Spain, have a nice balance between little bars and restaurants where you can grab you know anything from a beautiful piece of spanish omelet to right here behind us is a stand that buys fish from the market and then prepares everything from the traditional bocadillo de calamares, the fried calamari sandwich to um one of the guys is peruvian and so he'll make some ceviche yeah
0: i notice upstairs we've got some uh south american latin american food as well and also a good place to buy your uh, jars of products as well Now, there's a very Spanish sound. There's a
1: very Spanish sound. We are pulling down the persiana. Uh, We're closing up. Right behind me is my friend Javier, the olive guy. Hola, Javier. Hola, buenas. Javier just said he's going home to eat lunch. Um, (laughs) all. He just said that if he doesn't get home right now, the rice is going to go off. Um... Uh Javier's been working in the market for about thirty years and every day his wife makes lunch and so he goes home and has lunch with her. And so when I see Javier I'm like, Oh, what are you gonna have for lunch? He's like, I don't know, I just go home and eat it. Uh, but today it sounds like he's gonna have rice. So he have rice, has right? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Spanish lunch hour now, lunchtime, uh just past two o'clock. So the some uh, stores closing down and they reopen again later on in the yeah, afternoon and we'll open from
1: two it's supposed to close from two but nothing really closes down until two thirty. Um, and then it'll open back up around five when everyone comes back um, from having a nice lunch and maybe on a day of warmest today, maybe a little siesta. Oh, you can really hear the knife going in the background. These guys
0: are... Some chicken, like, chicken, chicken thighs. thighs. Hola. Hola. Hola, buenas.
1: This is Leandro. He's our favorite baker. This guy's amazing. Hola, um, And so he's just doing the doing the chill and is going to go home and have lunch. Yeah. Bueno, nos vemos pronto.
0: Venga, adios. Hasta luego. And so here we've got lots of sweets, biscuits, oh, yeah. baked Thanks. goods. Amazing
1: bread. And they're going home to eat some lunch. And then here is another little very, very traditional Spanish bar. It has the um, a menu del día, that daily lunch menu. Um, this place is great. It's just like all the Spanish classics. For a little less than 10 euros, you could choose between. Just wait for it. <laughs> First course, you can have lentils. Uh, you can have pisto, which is like Spanish ratatouille with an egg on top ensaladilla rusa uh, mm-hmm. which is like a, a potato salad with mayo salmorejo which is absolutely my favorite thing to oh eat yeah especially
0: summer. at this time of year when oh, it's yeah. hot
1: well it's cold tomato soup so you choose one of those four and then you would choose one of the options for your second course which is going to be your like big protein uh, a roast jo- kind of joint of pork uh, a beautiful uh like a like a fried bread and fried steak uh, you can get a big piece of grilled chicken or chicken in uh, sauce so like a stewed chicken or bocarones fritos those beautiful little fishes that we saw Oh delicious uh breaded and, and fried mm. and so this is like very traditional and for
0: nine euros it's incredible oh value so, yeah, maybe we should
1: come back here i
0: think we should and that will include a drink as well yeah, and some bread and um, what i love about these municipal markets as well as like i said uh, earlier it's a bit like stepping back in time oh, yeah. for me purely because these kind of places have become extinct in the UK yeah. now more or less but also it's got a sort of slightly Dated charm about it the kind of mottled old school marble floors some of the uh, the, the signs on the sides of the different stalls the kind yeah. of the fonts kind exactly. of hark back to like the sort of 1960s totally. or 70s you if know if you
1: were into typeface the spanish markets are ab- like a typeface dream come true like if you just want to like see vintage signs um in a lot of the places even now when they're doing more kind of like modern bars and younger people are buying the stands up to do little bars and cafes. We'll keep the stands just because they are so adorable. Um, it's really wonderful. And you know, you just this is this is how people have made their living. And not just but people have made their living here for generations and generations. And then folks have done all their socializing, especially you think about the history of women in Spain and in the rest of the world that. I mean, now things are changing a bit, hopefully, but you know, women did the shopping and the preparing of food, and this was also a place where women were able to socialize, that they would come and you would get to see your neighbors and your friends, and oh yeah, that's a loud one.
0: There we go, you can tell everyone's yeah. shutting down now. Yeah, that, was, that, was a bit, that was a big one.
1: Yeah, They gotta get, gotta get home for lunch. Um, but yeah, the, so these places, you know, are just kind of the history of food, and the socializing and kind of everything happens in the market and now because there's all these really wonderful little bars and cafes yeah. Yeah, like even on the weekends you can come in and hang out and do a little shopping and also get you know great food and the best part about it is that you know folks are buying the food from right there so you have this Really amazing food scene where people are, you know, supporting each other and supporting what people do, and it's really, it's really wonderful. Getting to be in these markets is absolutely one of my it, favorite it ab- parts.
0: Absolutely, of for me, it's, a, it's something that's super Spanish for me, and um, sometimes it can be quite well hidden as well. I've noticed oh, yeah. these little municipal markets; they just be like a sort of Acelero. adios, little doorway, you know, yeah. in uh, under underneath. Uh, sometimes that could be a block of apartments totally. or. Uh, a tunnel or something and it might just say Mercado and you think what's in there and it looks a bit dark and go go, go, walk in there. Always go. Get in there and explore because uh, I think I was in Madrid for a couple of years before I even knew this market existed and the amount of times I've walked up and down Gran Via without even knowing that this was tucked away
1: uh, behind. I mean this is you know this is one of the market that I go to on my morning neighborhood uh, food tour and market walk. And you know, I when I was testing the tour out, to, you know, check to make sure the timings were possible. I came with a bunch of Spanish friends, and most of them had never even been here before, and they just absolutely loved it because it's really, it's a really cool old school market. And again, like you're one block from Plaza España and just off of Gran Vía, but it's in this wonderful hidden corner, and it's really, it's a really wonderful, really special place. So
0: we've stepped out into the uh, afternoon sunshine now. It was nice and cool in there. I know. Uh, pretty hot we're now. Pretty I think it's uh, time to go. And get some food and maybe a cold canya
1: or something like that i know maybe i can go have lunch with Javier. that rice sounded delicious I mean, yeah, right. i'm still waiting for a, i'm still waiting for an invitation to get to lunch it might make it might take me a couple more years <laughs> but um but i'll get there i think it'll happen <laughs>
0: Margit, thanks so much again for joining the Wedding Spain podcast. Hopefully
1: we can do more and just keep talking about, you know, all the amazing foods that we have in Spain and how and where to enjoy them.
0: No doubt we will. I'm sure we will because when it comes to food in Spain and drink, the list is endless. The list
1: is really endless. I mean, and we just did, we, we just scratched the surface of ham. Um, and I'm sure that everybody has all of their different opinions on what's the best part of Spain. You know, there's people who are guijuelo up in Salamanca, the north part of Spain. People, There's people who prefer the ham from Huelva. It really depends like so much in spain is very regional and so you know people are if people are from leon up in the north uh northern part of of spain not north north but mid-north yeah um that was a terrible answer <laughs> mid-north, north is, mid-north, mid-north north is, north. is good yeah <laughs> north of madrid you know the only cured meats that they'll eat are from leon a friend of mine's mom uh sends her sausage uh in the mail because she belie- you know, and we live in Madrid, right? This is the biggest city in Spain. And she's like, the sausage is not the same.
0: I've heard um, the same. I've heard the same totally. said about morcia, oh, yeah. chorizo. When it comes to meat products, um, people, people are, are very loyal very, to their regional very, very produce.
1: Regional. So, you know, there's, there's a million things to be done just in the category of the amazing cured meats. Um, but the most important thing is you guys just got to come and see us in Madrid and eat all the. delicious come
0: food. Come visit. Don't forget that Margaret organizes her Walk and Eat Spain tours. Yes. So uh, I will put, a, again, a little link into the show notes for this. And, uh, well, obviously, as people can see, you really know your stuff. So <laughs> if they want a food guide to give them a really good insight into Spanish food, they know they know where to go. They do know where to go. Okay, Margaret, thank you very much.
1: Thank you very much. It was absolutely wonderful talking to you. And again, um, come see us and walk around and eat food in Madrid.
0: Venga, gracias.
1: Gracias. Hasta luego. Hasta luego.
0: So there you have it. That was Margaret Sperling. If you'd like to join one of her fabulous Walk and Eat Spain food tours, do head over to her website, which is walkandeatspain.com. Walkandeatspain.com to book on to one of her many uh, food tours that she runs uh, here in Madrid. So if you're coming over to Spain, I don't know, maybe in the autumn, in September, October, or maybe even at Christmas time do consider uh, getting in touch with Margaret. Um, As you heard in this podcast episode, she really knows her stuff and she will give you a great tour where you will be able to indulge your love of Spanish food. Uh, Margaret also has a Facebook page, so you can find her on Facebook and she's on Instagram as well. And speaking of social media, so is When in Spain. If you're new to this podcast, uh, When in Spain has a presence on all the usual social media hangouts so uh, I would particularly recommend uh, if you're a Spain fan and you enjoy this show uh, joining up to the When in Spain Facebook group it's uh, a friendly and active Facebook community um, which kind of accompanies the podcast so you can go on there and uh, share content, photographs you can ask questions and advice to any of the other members I think we have around uh, 1300 When in Spain Facebook group members now a friendly and sociable place to be if you like Spain and of course it's a place for you to share any of your uh, articles, content, photographs, anything like that as well. Uh, If you do like photography, when in Spain has an Instagram account where I endeavour to post uh, photos from my travels around Madrid and around Spain and there will be a lot more photography coming up on that uh, when I start travelling in a couple of weeks from now. If you'd like to get in touch with me directly, as I said at the beginning of this episode, for example, if you have any episode ideas for the future or any questions about uh, Spain that you'd like to put to me directly you can do so by emailing wheninspain one at outlook.com that's when Spain one the number one at outlook.com and if you use Twitter uh, when in Spain is on Twitter so you can follow me on there and the YouTube channel. Now, I really hope to start putting some new videos on the When in Spain YouTube channel as well. We've got a handful of videos on there at the moment, um, but I really hope to uh, put a few new videos on there soon. So that'll just about do it for this episode. Thanks everyone for listening. If you uh, listen to the show regularly, but you haven't hit the subscribe button on the uh, podcast platform where you listen, please do uh, hit the subscribe button. Don't forget, it does make a difference. It does help push When in Spain up the rankings on the various podcast platforms. So just hit that subscribe button. And by hitting the subscribe button, you'll automatically get the new episode downloaded uh, to you as soon as it becomes available as well. So wherever you're listening from around the world, thank you for continuing to listen to When in Spain. I really do hope that the information I provide is entertaining and useful and uh, acts in some way as a kind of portal to spain for you guys this is the little corner of the internet where i really do try to bring you flavors and sights and sounds and observations and entertaining content i hope from the iberian peninsula so thanks everyone as always for continuing to listen and support and follow when in spain it really 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 does uh, does mean a lot to me it really does and it's lovely being in contact with you guys just a quick note before i go i was thinking you know via the when in spain face group why not try and connect with each other wherever you are around the world i'm thinking now we've got uh uh, 1300 members in the Facebook group and I'm wondering if in certain cities around the world there are fellow When in Spain listeners you might be you might be living down the road from a fellow When in Spain listener and uh, you know, maybe you could meet up for a coffee and to talk about uh, all the things you love about Spain I'd be intrigued to know if there are little micro When in Spain communities uh, dotted around the world particularly in the bigger cities uh, around the world where surely there must be more than one When in Spain listener. Um, Yeah, if you're intrigued to know, why not uh, drop a note on the When in Spain Facebook group and put it out there and ask and say, you know, hey, I live in New York. I listen to When in Spain. Uh, are there any other When in Spain listeners in New York, for example? And maybe you could get together and uh, talk about uh, your love of Spain. Just putting it out there. I'd be intrigued to know if there are any kind of little micro When in Spain communities. Anyway, I will stop rambling on now. I will speak to you again next week. Until then, hasta luego. Hasta